0: Hello everyone, welcome to Next Level Coaching with Rick Rass here. I'm very excited that you're here today, and I'm even more excited that you're ready to take your life to the next level. Hello everyone, and welcome to episode number four, The Ticket to the Next Level. If you're going to take it to the next level, you need a ticket. That ticket is in the power of details and adjustments, In some respects, this podcast is like part two to my last podcast, The Biggest Lie in Sports. Pay attention to detail, celebrate progress, and enjoy the process. To summarize the content of my last podcast, The Biggest Lie in Sports, I said there were two types of athletes in practice. One is watching the clock waiting for practice to be over. They're going through the motions. The other wants to take the clock and throw it out the window because they're so fired up about taking their performance to the next level. I also stated a couple reasons why so many athletes are going through the motions. Number one, they're not engaged. They want to get better, but they're not engaged in the process of trying to figure out what they need to do to get better. In other words, take their performance to the next level. Number two was that they believe the biggest lie in sports. They think that the only time they should celebrate is if they win or think they're the best. If you haven't listened yet, I encourage you to do so. Number three, I didn't share, but I will hear because it is so relevant. Satisfaction and complacency would be it. So many could be much better than they are. They oftentimes put themselves in a certain category or just slip into believing they're like a 500 team This mindset is related to number one in the fact that they are not engaged in trying to figure out how they can take their performance to the next level. They're not looking for those details and making adjustments. There's no sense of urgency, especially in that practice environment. It is all about details and adjustments. People who are really good at what they do in anything are at that level because they pay attention to detail and make adjustments. They are masters at finding those little details that will make a difference. They look for those details like their mini treasures, and when they find them, not only do they get excited, but they make the necessary adjustments. One of my greatest passions in working with athletic teams is to change their practice perspective, their view of practice. Our perspective about practice has a lot to do with our understanding of process component goal setting. In an activity I do related to goal setting, a team is divided into groups. Each team gets a bag of 35 tennis balls. The challenge is to build a structure five tennis balls high on a piece of carpet. All the tennis balls need to be part of the structure. If they come up with the answer, they get excited. Sometimes they will have all the balls in place, but it will fall apart. I'll ask, what's the most important part of the structure? Inevitably, they'll say the foundation. When one of the groups has the pyramid standing, everyone gathers around impressed with their structure. If you have my book, there's a picture on page 55. I'll ask, if this pyramid represented your season, what would that top ball represent? The number one answer, state tournament or national championship. Everyone wants that top ball. The top ball of the pyramid represents outcome goals. The other 34 balls represent a multitude of things. You could list a bunch of character traits associated with success like determination, mental toughness, resilience, etc., Each of these balls represents things that are necessary or achieved to get to the top. There really isn't any one formula. However, to me, the base of the pyramid is what is so neglected and yet so important because it's the foundation. Without a solid foundation, the structure will fall apart all the time, literally. It consists of 15 balls that could represent the small details of performance skills for each person on the team. What specifically do you have to do to get better at every aspect of your game? Every sport has those small, process-oriented, skill-specific details. We just need to figure out what those details are and make the necessary adjustments. Volleyball, for example. Those who are the tackers or spikers would always like to be better, but that means absolutely nothing unless you look at the details associated with what would make you better. Are you in early on your approach? Are you getting too far underneath the ball? Are you keeping the ball in front of you far enough that you can see the block and read the defense? Is the ball in your power zone? How's your reach? What is happening with your non-hitting arm? Are you using it as a power source? What about your ability to control the ball with your hand? What about your core? You could go through the hitting line for 15 minutes and never think about what you're doing. I remember one day at practice when I was coaching the varsity volleyball team in Foley, Minnesota. We had three courts, varsity on one, JV on another, and the freshman squad on the third. At the end of practice, the freshman coach asked me if I could work with Jenny. When I walked over to Jenny on their court, she was nearly in tears. I can't hit the ball over the net. I'm not strong enough to serve overhand. Despite the fact that Jenny was very lean and lanky, I knew that wasn't the problem. I watched her attempt several serves and fail. Then I gave her a ball and asked her to throw it over the net. Not a problem at all. Then I gave her another ball and told her to show me how far she could throw it over the net. She threw the ball up against the back wall. I told her strength wasn't her problem. Working on the details associated with her timing and the use of her whole body produced some great results. Within 10-15 minutes, she was serving over the net no problem, and by the end of the season, she was jump-serving. Jenny ended up playing D2 Volleyball. Chris Gross is my office partner and colleague at school and also head girls basketball coach. I asked him one day what are some of the common issues associated with being a better shooter in basketball. He very quickly stated four things. Do you create space between the ball and the heel of your hand? Are you releasing the ball off your fingertips? Do you have a balanced stance? Are you practicing at game speed? Every sport has those things we need to pay attention to, and it's all about the pursuit of excellence. Even some of the things associated with conditioning, flexibility for one, how many athletes really know how to stretch out, going to that point where you just feel a light stretch and holding it, that tension level should subside as you hold that stretch for 10, 15, 20 seconds. I think the majority of athletes do the opposite where they hold the stretch and as they're holding it, it gets tighter, 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 and they end up overstretching, which sometimes causes microscopic tears in the muscle tissue, scar tissue develops, and they actually lose the elasticity of the muscle. The skill aspect of stretching is when you really learn to listen to your muscle and adjust and readjust the stretch accordingly. If you're a coach How do you get your athletes engaged in that process, whether it's in your sport or for conditioning? First of all, you have to be engaged yourself. If your athletes only see you get excited if you win, something is wrong. If you're engaged in the process, you'll notice those small improvements and that should pump you up. If it is important to you, it will become important to your athletes. Any investment you can make as a coach to get your athletes on board with this will be more than worth it. I can't stress this enough. It will take a commitment on your part because it requires time and your attention to those details as well, and every athlete on your team may be in a different place. High school coaches don't typically have as much time one-on-one to break down the skills as college coaches may. The tennis ball challenge that I explained earlier with the 35 balls, those 15 balls that represent the process-oriented goals, I'll give each athlete an index card and give them 10 to 15 minutes to write down as many skill-specific, detailed-oriented goals for various aspects of their game. It's always interesting to see what is turned in afterwards. The coaches look at them, and they notice right away that their most gifted and skilled athletes always have the most detail, and you can tell when they're writing them down, they have no problem getting things down on paper. They know exactly what they need work on. That's the frame of mind that they come to practice on. Way too many athletes come to practice with nothing on that list. Beware of the blank slate syndrome, where they don't have anything that they really know they need work on, those small little details. You could have them keep a journal. I don't really like the word journal because for some reason it has just such a weird connotation. Call it a skills log or a skills account. If they're writing things down on a weekly, daily basis, that list is going to change. If you're coaching, you may know your game very well at the high school or college level. Be careful not to overcoach by always providing information and feedback to your athletes. They'll never learn to think for themselves. Too many athletes get in a rut when they sit back and wait for coaches to figure things out. Have you ever heard the statement, The best way to learn something is to teach somebody else? Have your athletes coach each other or randomly give them a coaching assignment for something you are working on. Maybe you're volunteering as a youth coach and know very little about the game you are coaching. Learn the game with those kids and let them see your excitement as you learn more about how you can help them with the process of getting better. Teach them to be more concerned about learning the game and having fun than you are about winning. Am I one of those everyone deserves a trophy camp? Not even close. Competition is a great thing and so much can be learned from it. I'm just trying to fill the gap between the desire to win and what needs to be done to get better, which would only improve your chances of winning. If you're an athlete, you may have to do this on your own. In order to get that top ball of the pyramid, you have to be playing at a certain level. Teams don't achieve a higher level of performance because they are lucky. Luck is when practice meets opportunity. Luck is the residue of design. It doesn't happen by accident. Achieving outcome goals involves creating a design for your abilities in the same way an architect creates blueprints for a home. A contractor building your dream home wouldn't put siding on the house without framing done first. Obviously, there wouldn't be anything to attach the siding to or pound the nails into. We wouldn't want the carpet guy coming to lay the carpet before someone does the sheetrock on the walls. It may also be a good idea to have the electrician come before the sheetrock is up. The plumbing and heating should be complete before you put in the drop ceiling. In the construction process, timing is everything. A contractor follows the necessary progressions or process to get to the end result, a nice new home. Likewise, athletes or teams need to do the same thing and take ownership of their own house or their skills and understand that process, or they'll never get the end results. One of the most common statements coaches make about their teams is that their teams want to win, but they don't want to work. They want to be champions, but they don't want to train like a champion. How does a champion train? Besides working hard physically, they work hard mentally in the respect of finding details and making adjustments. You may remember me talking about the University of Northwestern College men's basketball team that won a national championship in 2010. I dumped the wiffle balls out for them 18 times. What I didn't tell you was that after doing it 11 times, they talked strategy for 7 minutes and 42 seconds. Most teams, after 4 or 5 attempts, are lucky to use 30 seconds. They were so engaged in finding a better way, and that is how they went through their entire season. I've already said that every sport has details associated with taking the performance to another level. In many of the ball sports, there are major differences between just playing your game and truly playing your opponent, constantly utilizing the information they give you if you're paying attention. When I played volleyball teams by myself, if they were going to serve at me from 45, 50, 52 feet away, I watched their toss, the direction they stepped, the rotation of the shoulders, what is their non-hitting arm doing, their hitting arm coming through, the position of the hand. Before they would even contact the ball, I could pretty much tell where they were going. Read, anticipate, and react. If I wasn't already moving before they would contact the ball, I was definitely moving when they contacted that ball. Volleyball coaches are often frustrated with serve-receive issues, especially when players aren't moving until the ball crosses the net. I've had many years of subscriptions to Sports Illustrated because every once in a great while, there would be an article or story that was worth reading. I've probably received 25 last chance to renew notices from Sports Illustrated over the last few months, but never did renew because the last magazine that I saved was from August 8, 2011. The article was called It's All About Anticipation by David Epstein. The subtitle alone reveals a lot. Ryan Howard and Rafa Nadal don't have quicker reflexes than you do. They hit the fastest pitches and return the hardest serves because they can see the future. One segment of the article talked about reading cues. I thought it really could be changed to reading clues, details and adjustments, sometimes within a millisecond. As I mentioned in the last podcast, many have strong desires to accomplish outcome goals or get the results associated with winning, but fail to recognize how important the process is. They may want to beat this team or that team, win sections, conference, state tournament, national championship, but they have no idea what level of performance they need to acquire to be the contender. How good do you have to be? What does it look like? I've only scratched the surface on this issue, and it is crucial that I elaborate on this. One activity I utilize in training has implications related to the visualization aspect of goal setting, or to the question, what does it look like in terms of performance? I'll divide a team into six, eight, ten, or more groups, depending on the total number of athletes. Each group may have three to five athletes in it, Since this challenge usually follows another activity focused on teamwork, I tell them I want to see how well they can work together. Each group is given a 24-piece puzzle and told not to open the boxes until all the groups have received their puzzle. Since the movie Cars, Pixar movie, has been popular over the years, I'm sure I've worn out hundreds of puzzles. I specifically tell them I want to see how long it takes them to put all the puzzles together. When I say go, it's interesting to see what transpires. Before, I've mixed up all the puzzles so none of the puzzles are complete within themselves. It doesn't take them long to realize they have to help each other out. The Puzzle Challenge provides some great applications to teamwork, but also has some fantastic applications related to visualization. I like to ask, how many of you looked at the picture on the box when you put the puzzle together? Everyone says yes or raises their hand. When I ask why, I always get some great answers. It shows what it looks like. It's a guide. It's a reference. It's easier to put together when you know what it looks like. Think about the implications that response has in terms of visualization. Practice ceases to be boring when you are trying to put the puzzle together. If you have ever put a puzzle together, you know how this relates. You may look for a while for one piece. When you find it, you're pumped. Kind of like the last podcast where I talked about the excitement that comes from hitting that bowling pin with a frisbee. You have those yes moments. Once you find a piece and get a section together, you want to build on it and find another piece. It's hard to quit. Over and over again. One more piece. The process gets more exciting when things start coming together. This is exactly the frame of mind of an athlete who has learned to celebrate progress. They don't want practice to be over. Theoretically, athletes at any level should be putting a puzzle together in practice. A big difference is that some athletes spend two hours and never even find a piece to their puzzle. Why? Because they have no idea what they're looking for or no vision of what they want to accomplish. Some of them aren't even looking. How exciting can that be? If we really want to take our abilities to the next level, we have to know what that puzzle looks like. I don't believe you can outperform what you can visualize in your head. You can't play or perform any better than what you can clearly picture in your mind. Picture in your mind someone taking a 500 or 1,000-piece puzzle and dumping all the pieces out on the floor and then telling a small group to put it together without giving them a box to look at. How long do you think it would take for somebody to say, give us a box, we need a picture to look at? In 1991, when I was still coaching volleyball in Foley, I had an athlete named Lori Baines. She was the first female volleyball player from Minnesota selected to Volleyball Monthly's Fab 50, top 50 volleyball players in the country. From Foley, Minnesota? People were apprehensive about the selection until they saw her play. Her ball handling skills were phenomenal and along with her court sense and ability to read and react, she was unstoppable. Why? She had what it takes for work ethic and put in tons of quality time. She also studied the game by watching every video in my video library multiple times and had such a clear picture in her mind of what she wanted to play like. When you have a picture in your mind of what you want to play like, it creates passion and purpose in the practice environment. The principle of watch and learn is definitely one of the most neglected aspects of taking performance to another level. In the age of YouTube and internet, you can find just about anything related to your sport at a higher level and watch. I tell athletes all the time, take a post-it or a stick-it note and put it on your bedroom or bathroom mirror. Just write five minutes on it and commit to watching at least five minutes every night. I'm amazed how many athletes don't watch their own sport at a higher level. If you want to go to the next level, this is a necessity. Don't miss out. I'm a little reluctant to share too many stories about myself, but I've always said I wouldn't be doing what I was doing with teams unless I was doing it myself challenging myself to take it to the next level. I mentioned in my introduction podcast that I picked up freestyle kayaking when I turned 50. Since I'm from the Midwest, there's not much whitewater consistently, so you have to be innovative and motivated to do flatwater training. A few years ago, I worked on one trick, the flatwater air loop, for almost a year. Most of the tricks I've learned have been by watching and learning. Watching videos and trying to pick up little things that might make a difference. The flat water air loop, you have to get the boat into a bow stall where the front of the boat, the bow, is pointing down at pool, lake, river, and you're balancing in an upright position. And in that bow stall, you got to bounce up and down and then generate enough pop where you go completely up and out of the water. To do an air loop, no part of the boat can be touching the water. I was stuck in one spot for quite a while, and it was frustrating, but I wasn't going to give up. I remember when I made one little adjustment, when I learned to push with my feet on the bow to bring the stern around quicker, and I went to the pool the next day and tried it, and wow, major breakthrough. I was so excited. When you watch somebody who's better than you, you can always figure out and find things that they might be doing that would bring you to that next level as well. Go to YouTube and check out the Flatwater Air Loop. Gosh, I hope that you have been encouraged, challenged, and learned something about going to the next level in this podcast. Obviously, I feel very strong about being engaged in the process of improving your performance by paying attention to details and making adjustments. It's definitely your ticket to the next level. It produces the results you need to win as well. However, I feel a huge byproduct of this process is developing confidence. An athlete who takes ownership of their performance in that way will find that they become more and more confident in pressure situations because they know they can do what it takes. Their confidence just keeps getting stronger, and this is priceless. It makes me think of the New England multi-line we used on our challenge course in a variety of ways. This three-strand rope is made of polyester yarn wrapped around a polyolefin core. The strength of each strand only increases when intertwined with each other. Amazingly, three-quarter inch rope has a tensile strength of 10,500 pounds and works great for a four-way tug-of-war. With 75 to 100 college football players pulling four different directions, I never worry about the rope snapping. When an athlete has developed the process component of goal setting, their rope Their sense of determination, persistence gets stronger each time they celebrate progress. It just increases the strength of their commitment, and the possibilities are endless. Thanks for joining me in this podcast. I hope it equips you to do what it takes to take it to the next level. Have a great day.